Good King Wenceslaus. <laughs> A name it's easy to say, I guess. Now concerning next Sunday night, the person who's leading that particular activity and I were chatting this morning, and that person wanted me to suggest to the entire congregation that this week you involve yourself in aerobic activity. Because walking around for an hour singing, carrying a ham, requires aerobic efficiency. And we don't want anyone to slack. So I hope that tomorrow morning, 4.30, everybody's out on the trail carrying 10 pounds, which is about what maybe a ham would weigh. All joking aside, what a great blessing it is to sing songs of the neighborhood. How many years have we been doing that? We did this at Bel Air, and Jesus then used to come over and join us as we would carol. And so when I came to TCF, we brought that here. And it's been such a joy uh, to do that together for many, many, many years. What a blessing we receive as we give to the others. Hail Mary. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. If you grew up as a Roman Catholic, if you attended Roman Catholic school, or if you ever visited a Roman Catholic church service, you would have heard the Hail Mary repeated time and time again. In Latin, it's Ave Maria. And the first portion of that, all of us who are non-Catholics can fully agree with and affirm. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. But the next part gives us problems. Holy Mary... Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. That's a problem to us, first of all, because there's no scriptural authority for saying that there are saints that intercede for us before God. Paul wrote to Timothy, there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Because of the inappropriate elevation of Mary, for example, yesterday, a rather Friday evening, I was driving home, and one of the stations I so frequently listen to on my car radio is the Catholic radio channel. I enjoy many of their programs. But they were interviewing an author who had written a book about Mary. It spoke about the power of Mary and how praying to Mary on one particular situation caused a storm to be abated and how we need to devote ourselves to Mary. Of course, there's nothing in Scripture like that at all, is there? <laughs> and so in a reaction against the inappropriate elevation of Mary in Roman Catholicism, in my view, non-Catholics have not given to Mary the proper honor and view her as an example in the marvelous way she has been. This morning we want to talk about Mary and the Nativity, reflecting the scriptures that we recited this morning as a part of the 
Advent candle. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to a place called Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man named Joseph. The first thing that catches my attention as I begin to read this account is God's choice. First of all, the choice of Nazareth. Where was Nazareth? Nathaniel, who was also a Galilean, was from the city of Cana. And when Philip went to him to tell him about Jesus, he said, We have found the Messiah of whom Moses wrote. He is Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Nathaniel was from Cana, a rather metropolitan city, but where was Nazareth? Was this the reaction of a city boy saying, Well, those country bumpkins over there, can anything good come from that? Truth is, were it not for the fact that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, we probably wouldn't even remember that name today. It was truly Nowheresville. I think about uh, those of us who have been around a while. Remember Carl Albert, one of the most powerful men in the United States Congress. Carl Albert was a little man with a big voice. They called him the, the little giant and tremendously influential and very powerful politician. He was from Bug Tussle, Oklahoma. <laughs> and if we had never heard of Carl Albert, we probably never would have heard of Bug Tussle, Oklahoma, would we? That's really what Nazareth was. It was Nowheresville. And yet, God sent the angel to Nazareth. As we think of uh, Nathaniel's reply, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? We wonder, was there more to it than just the fact that it was an insignificant rural town where country bumpkins lived? In New Hampshire, there is a particular town up in the Lakes region that any of the natives who live there, especially those that have been there two or three generations, want nothing to do with that town. It's an embarrassment to them to have anything to do with that town because that town is known as the incest capital of New Hampshire. Now, newcomers that come in from Massachusetts or Maine or Connecticut and other places don't know this, but the natives do. And we know one family, Gordon and I and Susie know a family that lives near Holderness, and for years there was no post office at Holderness. And so the, that post office was at this other town, which I will not name. And it was very embarrassing to this man when you say, what is your address? Uh, he didn't want to have that town as his address because of the reputation of that town. We wonder, did Nazareth have such a reputation? We don't know. <laughs> have you ever pondered the inscrutable manner in which God makes choices? Think about David. Remember when Samuel was sent to the household of Jesse and he said, There's, I'm going to anoint the next king of Israel. And so Samuel went and Jesse brought his first son and boy, Samuel looked at him. I can tell he's the one. He looks like a king. God said, not this one. 
and then the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and each one, God said, not this one, and Samuel was puzzling after he'd seen all seven sons. Don't you have anybody else? Oh, yeah, we got that kid out there taking care of the sheep, <laughs> you know, not even dry behind the ears. Let me see him. He was ruddy complexion, actually sunburned. He'd been out in the sun, had a good suntan. God said, this is the man. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. None of us would have chosen David. We'd have picked the first one, the man who looked like a king. How many times in Scripture do we see God making choices like that? To me, one of the most unusual is the apostle to the Gentiles. Saul of Tarsus was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He describes his life. He, he said, I kept the law perfectly. It was blameless. He was a student of Gamaliel, the great rabbinical teacher of that era. If anyone was ever qualified to be an evangelist to the Jews, it was Saul of Tarsus. He was so zealous for Judaism that he was out arresting Christians, putting them in jail. And he said, every time the vote was taken, I voted for the death sentence. And in his zeal, he went with letters to Damascus to arrest and jail Christians and you know the story on the way, suddenly a bright light shone upon him and he fell to the ground and those who were with him were afraid they didn't understand what was being said. But he heard the voice that said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. He was told to go into Damascus and he would tell what would be done. God said, Ananias, I want you to go. No, not him. You don't know who he is. Oh, yes, he is. I've chosen him to be a man who will be a great witness to the Gentiles and before kings. And Ananias said to him, Why tearest thou? Rise and be immersed, washing away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. And this man, who was the most perfect vessel to be used to evangelize the Jews, God sent him to the Gentiles. How inscrutable. <laughs> are God's choices. And he sent an angel to Nazareth and to a virgin named Mary. Now, who was Mary? Nobody from Nowheresville. <laughs> traditions say she was probably 14 years of age. Some say 12. Some traditions say Joseph was 36. All of these are somewhat speculative. 14 is probably how old she was because that was the age in which Jewish women were often betrothed or engaged for marriage. And the angel said, you know, Hail Mary. <laughs> and now she puzzled over everything. But Mary, who was Mary? Nobody from Nowheresville. <laughs> Why didn't God send the angel to Jerusalem to a, a woman who was a descendant of the priestly line of Levi? No. Why not to Sepphoris, one of the major cities of Galilee, or Tiberias, or Cana? Why not pick somebody who had some kind of royal standing? But no, a nobody from Nowheresville. <laughs> The decisions and choices of God are inscrutable, aren't they? Man looks on the outward appearance, 
but God looks on the heart. The second thing that catches my attention in this story is Mary's response. You know how the dialogue went. And finally she said, Be it unto this slave according to your word. Now, the King James Version solves it, servant, New American Standard, bond slave, but the Greek word is the female form of slave. I wish they'd quit trying to solve in that. <laughs> Be it unto this slave according to your word. Most of you know the story of my life, which resulted in the writing of the book, The Do Lost Principle, and how God taught me the beautiful lesson of being a slave of God. A slave of God says, I own nothing, it's all his. My name, but he owns it. He owns this body. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Now think about Mary. The cross had not yet happened, but she still had the right response. Be it unto this slave according to your will. She had no idea what that meant. Probably if she thought about it a little bit, she realized it meant some things. First of all, she lived in Nazareth, small town. Everybody knew everybody. All the gossips would be busy. All the gossipy tongues would be wagging about this 14-year-old girl that was pregnant out of wedlock. Her fiancé, Joseph's heart would be broken. My fiancé, she's played the harlot with some other man. You know, those thoughts must have gone through her mind when she said, Be it unto this slave according to your will. And what a wonderful person Joseph must have been. <laughs> Even though his heart was broken, even though he felt he had been cuckold, he didn't want to put her to open shame if he could avoid it. And so he was going to secretly break the engagement. But thank God in the night an angel said, Do not fear to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is in her is of the Holy Ghost. But just think of that again. A nobody from nowheresville God had chosen to be the vessel that would bear the Redeemer of the world. God makes decisions that to our human minds are inscrutable. The third thing that strikes my attention as I read this account is how God uses natural means to achieve his divine purpose. As you begin to read Luke chapter 2, it tells us that Tiber, uh, Caesar decreed that there would be a census or a poll tax of all the world, which meant all the Roman Empire. And this happened when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and it says this was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, history records very clearly that Quirinius was governor of Syria in the years of 6 through 11 A.D. 
There is a young man who I know who was very caught up in the more modern church and speaking at a church, I'll not say which one, a few years ago on Christmas Day, part of the emergent church movement, he got up and began his sermon with these words, Luke got it wrong. Because Jesus was born 4 B.C., that's correct, (laughs) and Quirinius was not governor of Syria in 4 B.C. He was governor of Syria 6 to 11 A.D. Ignorance showed this man to be a fool. (laughs) Because the governor of Syria was Quirinius very briefly in 4 A.D., just long enough to be the governor when that census was ordered, and then he went off to other things. God uses natural means. Now, here we have Mary in, in Nazareth, and she's pregnant, and she's going to have a baby, But through the prophet Micah, God said, Bethlehem is where the Messiah is going to come forth. How's that possible? Here's Bethlehem is four miles outside of Jerusalem. And here you have Jerusalem. You have the northern part of Judah. Then you go all the way through Samaria, all the way to the remote province of Galilee, sort of like Hawaii or Alaska touched to the United States. It was a remote province separated by the geographical land of Samaria. Here she's pregnant in Nazareth, but the prophet said the Messiah was going to come forth from Bethlehem, Micah chapter 4. How is that going to be? God uses natural means. <laughs> Caesar decreed that there should be a poll tax. And everybody had to go to the town that was their historic family origin to register. And Joseph was a descendant of David, and the city of David was Bethlehem. And so I I took a map, and I started measuring. And as near as, as I can determine... Joseph and Mary walked 100 miles. Think of that. From Nazareth, they went southeast to the Jordan River, then traveled the Jordan Road to Jericho, then they went in and from Jericho to Jerusalem, and then four miles to Bethlehem. And the best I could determine with the ruler (laughs) measuring on the map and the scale, it was about a 100-mile walk. Now, we see the picture usually of Mary on a donkey and Joseph leading it. I'm going to assume that's right. We don't know, but probably so. But think about that, how God used natural means to achieve his divine purposes. Don't we see so many examples of that in the Bible? And yes, even in our own lives. Just thinking about this, here's one that occurs to me. In the 1960s, as God, you know, God, there's no past, present, or future, it's all one, but he saw in coming years when Christians were going to be terribly persecuted in certain parts of the world, 
He foresaw a time in which there would be refugees fleeing, leaving everything behind, and they would have nothing other than the clothes on their back. And with compassion, God saw that need. And there was a need for someone to go help these people, not merely take to them goods, not merely take medicine and food and clothing and other things, but someone who had the gift of encouragement. Any time you came into his presence, you were encouraged. An immigrant family moved from Finland to Canada and then to the Chicago area. And they had a little boy, a little boy who walked in the ways of Jesus at his mother's knee. He accepted Christ at a young age. Went to Earl Roberts University and there he met Terry Law. Went back to Chicago and became a bus driver in Chicago. And then Terry Law brought living sound to that area, had a crusade, and this young man who was a bus driver felt God was saying, approach him and see if you can help, and he did. Terry, is there anything you need? I need a bus driver. <laughs> and so this bus driver became the bus driver for Terry Law Ministries, and most of you know the story. He traveled throughout the United States, many nations of the world, finally more than just a bus driver, increasing, increasing, and I've said to different people, if there's any place in the world that is dangerous, sooner or later, this man will be there. Not only with medicine, not only with food and clothing, but because God has so built in him the gift of encouragement. Everyone who meets him is encouraged. By now you know I'm talking about Joel Vazanin. <laughs> But think about that. A bus driver, Terry needed a bus driver. God, using natural means, has blessed persecuted people of the world using natural means to make that connection. The ways of God are inscrutable, are they not? And don't we thank our Lord for caring enough to play chess with the nations of the world and with our lives to achieve his purposes. Now, my brother and my sister, I have no idea what God plans to do with your life. <laughs> but I plead with you, let us have the heart of Mary. Be it unto this slave, whatever that means, be it unto this slave according to your will. And out of small things, God so often has done big things. Some of you women might say, well, all his guests he's called me to do is to be a mother. Wow, what do you mean <laughs> all he's called me to do? Can you think of any greater honor than being God's agent to rear children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Think about this. Every time a baby is born, 
a being has come into existence that will never die. And that baby came out of your womb. And you now have the blessed privilege of leading that baby in the ways of God. All I've been called upon is to be a man who works hard and provides money for the family to be a husband and a father. Oh my, what greater privilege could there be than that? What greater responsibility could there be than that? But in this church, there are many of you that God is using even beyond that in other ways. The Good News Club. Wow. I don't think we can ever begin to imagine the effects of that until we stand in eternity before God. And on and on we could go. Think about this little church. We are a small church. But the nations of the world are impacted because Tulsa Christian Fellowship exists and is said to God, be it unto us, your slaves, according to your will. And there are missionaries all over the world because this church has said, God, we care not about the reputation of men. We don't care about our reputation in the city. Do with us what you want. And God has used us. Through nothing any of us have done. Have you thought about that? Through nothing any of us have done. God has just allowed us to cooperate with him. As he has done. What he has desired. May it be true of all of us. Be it unto this slave, according to your word.